Hello, welcome to Crusher Talk. This is your friend, Haley Crusher Kane, back again. Um, it's been a wild ride since the last update where we talked about sloths and traveling cross country. Um, I think we knew that traveling cross country in October, uh, going to a family wedding and then rolling straight into Thanksgiving anniversary, not to mention Dr. Kane's birthday and all the things that go along with relocating temporarily on the West Coast would be intense. So um, we knew that. However, going through that is a very different thing. It's actually been really fun. It's been a really rich time, a lot of great experiences, but definitely been a lot. And you can tell in my voice probably I'm still a little bit hoarse from our shows in Los Angeles and Long Beach Thank you to those who came out. It was really special to see a real cool crew of people from like 15, 20 years ago. I mean, everybody from the cool punk rock guy who worked at the punk store and had like a band that we all went to when we were 16 and that guy and, you know, somebody that I used to go and hang out with in Wilmington when we all hung out at this dude's random house and there was always helicopters and we had to hide from the all this the helicopters and stuff one time I remember that and um backyard shows and gosh we used to it just so so many memories um it brought back like so many just latent memories that were just lingering somewhere in my consciousness that I just hadn't thought about in a long time and it was really cool. It was cool to see so many cool faces from back in the day, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But anyways, um, what else? Let's see. So I'm eating banana bread right now. Um, my crave-worthy is banana bread. I think if you really break it down to foods that are leftovers that become transformed and delicious, there are very few foods that beat banana bread in the sense that um, – it is absolutely delicious and it comes from something that looks disgusting. So bananas that are spotty and brown and black become delicious banana bread. And um, if you haven't thought about that in that context, I'm going to let you think about it now um, and tell me if there's any other foods that do this because very rarely does a food become more and more rotted and then become more and more delicious in a different form. Um, this recipe is really good. It called for a little bit of sour cream in it. And what else did it call for that was interesting? There was something else. I'll, I'll include the recipe, but it's really good. You got to be putting it in the toaster if you're not putting your banana bread in the toaster. I highly recommend it. I think once I realized that these sort of like breads can go in toasters, um, it all changed for me. Um, I'm talking about your, uh, your gingerbreads or like cinnamon breads, any sort of holiday bread. It's going to be so good in the toaster. And I am I want to thank myself for making this delicious banana bread. Um, this is kind of a rambling one because, as I said, we haven't been here in a while. We, me and Pina, I guess I'm talking about, who's sleeping on the couch. Um, let's see. We saw the surfing goats of Pismo Beach. They are a real thing. They do surf in Pismo Beach, and I saw them off-duty. They did look a little sad and a little haggard. One of them had money, like, under its collar, which made me suspect that the guy who does the surfing goats thing, which I forget his name. He's, like, a local guy in Pismo. Um, 
is kind of putting them out there for people to sort of like give money to, which felt a little like, I hope these goats are being cared for. I know they are, but still it was a little weird. Um, I have not seen the goats surfing yet in their full like surfing action, but um, to see them in, in the, in the flesh is a very central coast thing to experience. So I'm going to put that into my Central Coast like bingo card. I, I finally saw them over all these years. I did email him a long time ago thinking I want to use some B-roll from some surfing goats footage for a music video and he never responded. So, you know, I'm still on the hunt if anyone knows of any interesting farm animals that could be, you, you know, would like to be star in a video. Um, that would be wonderful. Um, Dr. Hane and I had our 10 year wedding anniversary. Woo. So crazy. You know, it's so weird. Um, they say time flies when you're having fun and you know, not to be like cute about it and like it's time flies, but time flies, time flies when you're having fun. And when you are, I don't know, I guess pursuing all sorts of like adventures is kind of how I see my relationship. And I know that he sees it that way too. Um, we've definitely had more downtime like over the past, uh, I don't know, year or two, I guess since we moved to Detroit because we've had to, it's forced us. We flew too high to the sun, too close to the sun. And we kind of had to like come down to earth for a little bit and make all these, you know, dreams, realities and deal with all the little things of like fixing up a house that's severely messed up and becoming integrated into a community that we don't know anyone in, (laughs) um, But in general, I feel like that is somewhat of the engine that kind of keeps things fresh and just having a good time, you know, being married to someone who's a good hang and you enjoy hanging out with and you laugh with is, it just sounds corny. Like everything I'm saying sounds so corny, but it's true. Last night we watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which I was kind of like, I've seen that so many times. And he hadn't seen it in years, but we did watch it. And I take it back, all my grumblings about it, because although I have seen it a million times, there was a lot of stuff that I missed that I was like, okay, now that I'm watching this as a 36-year-old, there's so many questions I have. And like, I think the main takeaway that I've I've gotten from that film is, one, there's a lot of like boobs, a lot of teenage boobs, but that's a very 80s thing, right? A lot of, but these are like 15-year-old girls' boobs supposedly. I mean, we know the actresses are probably over 18, but still, I was like, damn, they don't really do that anymore in teen movies. Um, and two, um, just like how dark the movie is and that it kind of feels like very Gen X in a way that I never really recognized in the sense that these kids are very jaded and they're very like adult, you know, they're working, they're smoking cigarettes, they're having sex, they're having abortions, they're, um, making a lot of mistakes. And these are all things I think millennials also go through. Um, I think that the current Gen Zs and younger are in a different category in terms of all those responsibilities and like having that put on them. But when I see like all the kids in this movie, you forget their kids because they are just so self-reliant. And I notice that they don't really talk about their feelings at all, which is a very Gen X thing. It kind of feels like these kids were kind of set out to fend for themselves and like make their own dinner and like figure it out, you know? And in some ways that can be really hard. And in other ways it's like made a very independent group of people. And when I watch that movie now, I'm thinking like, okay, I know exactly who was 
a young person when this came out because I don't know what year it came out, but I was born in 87. So I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't the the viewing age of this <laughs> of this audience that was supposed to be watching this movie and connecting with it. And I imagine it really connected with kids that were raised by single moms or with parents that were both working a lot, kids that were latchkey kids, because, you know, Gen X was like kind of the first generation that, in, you know, en masse had both parents working outside of the home mostly and kind of having to fend for themselves. And this idea that like, yes, you get a job when you're 15. Yes, you drive. Yes, you do all these things. I mean, I I definitely experienced those things. But there was definitely more of an emphasis on education and emotional support. Um, I feel like with millennials, we were coddled a little more and we learned more about drugs through DARE. And we had you know, the, the, the joke is there's like 16th place trophies, but we certainly did have those things. And when I look at this movie, I'm like, damn, this is a brutal movie. (laughs) Like, like there are winners and there are losers. And these kids are learning these intense lessons in like a very bleak and not supportive environment, either from the teachers or the parents. Um, So it just, I don't know. I think about it a lot, I think, because uh, I do have that generational difference in my marriage. And so having a Gen X and an elder millennial together in one household, there are many times that I, we've come up against that. And I think this definitely comes from your cultural upbringing and raising and like the fact that a lot of the Gen X people just were kind of sent out to fend for themselves and sink or swim in a way that it's just very not the way anymore that we we deal with kids and teens. So I also I want to give that movie props for like talking about abortion in a very neutral way. Having a woman, like a, a young girl, actually 15-year-old girl talking about getting an abortion, it's very neutral. Um, the women, I keep saying women, but they're actually like supposed to be like 15 how they, it's very sex positive. Like they weren't demonized for talking about sex and they were very casual, like talking about sex. Like some of the, some of those scenes are hard to watch. Cause you think like, okay, this is like a little bit way too adult, but, um, it felt like they were given like whole characters in a way and whole beings and in a way that young women usually aren't and it was very intimate and like loving towards these like characters I feel like like seeing um the main character I forget her name the like mousy girl kind of like makes so many mistakes and yet you root for her and you think she's not like you don't think like normally if a woman is pursuing sex because this young girl was pursuing all these encounters trying to like get rid of her virginity and like understand like the adult world and be cool. And, you know, she, the first thing she does is date a 28 year old and she's 15 sneaking out of her house. And normally I feel like culturally that that movie would be demonizing her and being like, Oh, and she's, they would do it in some way where you would, you almost wouldn't notice it. And it'd be like, Oh, but she's just some dumb, 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 dumb. And I thought it was kind of cool that she was like kind of treated with empathy um, as a character Um, I don't really give a shit about movies, so it's kind of funny that this one, like, hit me. And I was Googling it last night thinking about movies that are particularly Gen X, and one that came up was Clueless, which made me laugh because I think of that as, like, the millennial Bible. That's, like – but it is kind of in this cusp area of um, Gen X and millennial where uh, the young Gen X uh, and the old millennials kind of meet. And if you watch that movie, which I haven't recently, but I can already tell you – 
there's so much more emphasis on both kids and adults talking about their feelings. There are so many more parents and teachers involved. And they're, whereas in Ridgemont High, all the teachers are like ambivalent or straight up like dicks to the kids, like a, almost borderline abusive to the kids. In Clueless, like Cher Horowitz, who's the main character, is literally trying to fix up her teachers. And of course, these are movies. They're not real life, but we all know art imitates life and so on. And so it's just, I don't know that may, I just, I've been thinking about this a lot and thinking about how, when you look at like maybe mean girls, which was my generations, like I was right at the perfect age for mean girls when mean girls came out uh, with Lindsay Lohan, maybe I was a little bit older, maybe like early twenties or late teens, but, um, how even more touchy feely it became and how much more padded, their these falls were for the kids when they fell they there was a little more padding there and a little bit more guidance and just yeah tina fey like brings all the kids into the auditorium and is like everybody needs to stop being mean to each other i mean that's a very millennial thing to have happen you know bullying was like gosh remember whenever everyone was like hashtag stop bullying bullying is the biggest problem in our entire world bullying bullying is so horrible and then you look back just even like one generation and it's like people literally calling each other the worst names ever. And like, everybody's a fag and everybody's, you know, fat or like, well, you're a skank. Like it's, it's just intense. Like how the consciousness has changed. It's just really weird when you look at teen movies. Um, so yeah, apparently I enjoyed that movie because I could talk about it for a long time. And if you haven't seen it in a while, I recommend it. It actually gave me a lot to think about. Um, I've actually been reading some books that are all basically autobiographies, um, which is not unusual for me, but lately I've been kind of on a kick with that. I don't know if I told you guys about Sure, I'll Join Your Cult by Maria Bamford, who is an awesome comedian, but that's a good one. And she's very like into the mental illness side of things and poking fun at her own mental illness. Um, I find her really funny. I think she's one of the funniest comedians out there. Um, her book was good. It was autobiography. It does deal a bit with OCD and like what those thoughts are like. And if you have OCD or have a little bit of it, it might trigger that because it's, it is about her kind of overcoming that as a child. And some of us have like a little bit of OCD in us. So just be aware of that. Um, the woman in me by Britney Spears, of course, the minute it was available, I think I pre-ordered it on audio book audible. Um, speaking of women who completely like, I mean, Britney Spears is like such a cultural touchstone for myself and my peers to the point where it's like, you know, exactly where you were in every journey of her, her upbringing, because for people my age and a little bit older, we grew up with Britney Spears. We watched her grow up and we grew like almost like the Taylor Swift phenomenon where these girls like grew up with Taylor Swift every single step of the way. Like we grew up with Britney and the rise of Britney is the is goes side by side with the rise of horrible cultural body dysmorphia and horrible treatment of women in entertainment probably like I mean I wouldn't say it's the peak because I'm sure it was worse in the 50s maybe not uh, but 
the peak of like the tabloid culture and the gotcha culture and like people trying to get, you know, um, Paris Hilton coming out of a limo and trying to like, you know, get a picture of her, you know, not wearing underwear or like just really, really invasive stuff and really antagonistic stuff. Like the, the, you know, the TMZs and the Perez Hiltons. I used to go on Perez Hilton's website in like the late nineties, early two thousands and like read his blog, which makes me feel sad now because it's so mean. It's so mean. And like, of course we're all allowed to have like discourse around celebrities and be mean to celebrities. I mean, what is, what is culture without being mean to celebrities and knocking them down a peg? That's very, very important culturally to us as Americans. Um, but this, the way they did it. And even just the way like the fat shaming was, and you would see these skinny, skinny, skinny girls like Tara Reid or like Nicole Richie or Lindsay Lohan or Hillary Duff on the cover of Us Weekly or on the cover of People with literal headlines being like cellulite disaster and like she's such a shitty gross whale like she's somebody's got a baby bump that was like the era of if you had any sort of like roundness to your stomach people would be like ooh maybe she's pregnant and um the fact that Britney went through that sort of turbulence in terms of like just how we treated women a how would you did celebrities be? How would you did women celebrities? And if you guys don't remember, there was this huge obsession with her virginity to the point where like, it was just like national, it was like totally accepted to just talk at her about her own decisions, um, which you can tell made her very uncomfortable in, in interviews if you watch them now. And like the thing that she brings up in the book that I find so interesting, because she talks about her, her relationship with Justin Timberlake um, of the band NSYNC, um, many, many times in the book. And there are some real bombshells that happen, um, in regards to his treatment, his treatment of her. But in the, in the media, when he was going through his media stuff, nobody was asking him if he was a virgin. And they were all like, they were on like the Mickey Mouse club together. They grew up together. Like they, and these were young kids, like under 18. And instead of, you know, putting that emphasis on Britney, they were basically being like, Hey, are you, you know, you hitting that? Like just basically being gross. And, um, it, it really makes you look again at that whole time and how we treated her when she went through her mental illness and how the, the media and photographers and paparazzi, um, and of course like her family, which is, was very evil to put her in a conservatorship of that magnitude, um, to understand like why, why she was acting crazy. Like we don't think about that. We just remember, I, I mean, I just remember like the era of her shaving her head and everyone kind of laughing at her when in the book, she talks about how like Kevin Betterline, her baby daddy was like keeping her kids from her. And she, you know what? She never did hard drugs. She would have alcohol every once in a while. And like, maybe she partied here and there, but like no more than any other, like 21 year old or whatever. Um, 22 year old, she was so young when she was put in that conservatorship. Um, it just makes you look again at how we talked about Brittany and like what that means about us and how we've changed. Like we've changed so much in some ways we haven't changed at all, but in a lot of ways, when you look at like female pop stars and the freedom they're afforded and like the dignity that they have, you're like, wow, that, that there's a huge change there. Um, because of the way we treated Brittany from, her baby hit me baby one more time video and like how she was dressed. Um, 
you know, from that to like how he treated her when she made her come back from her mental illness and like did the VMAs and she was slightly pudgier and yet still gorgeous and has a beautiful body and beautiful figure and telling her like there were literally like jokes on family guy and stuff that were like making like making her seem like she was like a whale when she gained like two pounds. Um, just when you look at like how mean we were to her and like just how much she's endured being in a conservatorship and how much money that she made for her father and for all the people that worked for her for years and years and years. And for someone to make that much money and to be deemed as completely like incapacitated and unable to make their own decisions is so, so evil. Like the gaslighting, the manipulation, like I almost feel like reading this book. I mean, some of you will not relate to this or resonate with it, but it feels like a healing of that time. And a healing of the trauma of going through that time because there was so many times that I didn't even realize I was being brainwashed by Seventeen magazine or MTV or whatever, and just com- completely being, you know, commodified as a young woman and feeling like, you know, it's really hard to like live in that bathwater and not get a little pruny. Not to use a terrible analogy, um, but that book. It was also very well written, I have to say. Um, So, of course, naturally from that, I had to go to the Pam Anderson autobiography that just came out, which I think is just called Love Pam. I can't remember. The Britney one is called The Women and Me. Whatever. It's a Pamela Anderson book. Now, that book is extremely beautifully written. She is like a poet. And although I found it, like, I connected with it a little bit less, like, as, I mean, well, I will always feel connected to Britney. That's just, I saw her in 1999, the Mid-State Fair. Like, I didn't even go into the concert. I saw her through the chain link fence and she was wearing a neon pink tube top and neon pink knee pads for some reason. It was a weird time fashion-wise. And I want to say like a fu- like pink fuzzy like ponytail holders. And she definitely had some like shininess on her tube top. It was like like a shiny, like plastic. And watching her through the... Um, chain link fence and being like, my life has changed. <laughs> like, I remember that. I will never, ever forget that. For Pam, it's more like, I remember when I saw Baywatch and Baywatch and whatever. And actually seeing Pam, I, I remember seeing Baywatch being filmed on the beach growing up in like Hermosa Beach area, which I don't know. In the book, she talks about how they only filmed in Malibu. So I'm like, how do I have that memory? That's a weird memory <laughs> that I have. Maybe there, something else was filming that was like beach related, but. Um, it's really well written. It's beautifully well written. Um, and the way she talks about her love addiction is just so like self-aware and she's so, so smart and really funny. Like it's, it it really surprised me. That was a really good one. Um, Death Valley by Melissa Broder. I loved that book that just came out too. I listened to it on audiobook because I wanted to hear Melissa talk about it. It's basically a book about death, grieving, death and grieving, um, that becomes a survival tale. So it combines a woman trying to survive in the desert, like no spoilers, but she's like lost in the desert with the journey to dealing with her father's illness and subsequent death. So that's not really a spoiler, but the way that she does it is like, so it's like so real and yet so dreamy. It's like this combination of like real dreaminess that I just love the way she writes. I love the way she thinks. I think she has an excellent brain. Um, 
So I really recommend that one. That one was really good. And then lately, um, I've been reading at night um, a book called Dopamine Nation. And I was inspired to read this book because the author was on a ton of podcasts, I think, because we're all culturally talking about how much dopamine is available in our current culture and how to deal with that because it's great. You know, it's great to have those dopamine sources available at all times, but our brains are so ancient and so unequipped for how expansive and how, um, what's the word bountiful this dopamine is. And the idea that you can pick up your phone at any time and you can get a hit of dopamine from the interactions you're getting there is just something our brains can't really understand. So we're getting addicted to that. You know, we're getting addicted to the amount of connectivity that is just at our fingertips, not to mention all the crazy food. America is crazy when it comes to food. It's like, if you go anywhere else in the world, there's crazy food for sure. But like nowhere else is there like, what did I see? It was like a cheese stuffed pizza with hot dogs in the crust or like something like that. And like, I love like a wacky food and I definitely eat wacky foods almost like as a hobby. Like it's fun to seek them out. But the fact that there's just so much insane, like food that just makes your brain go crazy because it's so saturated with sugar and salt and all the good things that make your brain light up. Like, of course it's addicting. Like if you're not addicted to food in America, fast food, you're, you're addicted to your phone. If you're not addicted to your phone, you're addicted to like some other thing. And it's just completely hard. It's just, we're swimming in it. And I think the book is just, it came at a really good time and it talks about dopamine and how we get hooked on it. And it kind of just explains like, the brain processing of addiction. And it also is hopeful in a sense, because it talks about how the brain, although you can be predisposed to kind of have these issues and then you can have, you know, you're basically wiring your brain to be addicted to whatever you're addicted to. Um, you can like rewire those pathways, neural pathways. And it's not a how-to book. and It's not a self-help book. It's really more of like a sciencey book. I would say it's similar to a little bit similar to like how to do nothing in the sense that not the subject matter, but the fact that it's like coming at it from a more academic, I would say scientific place, whereas how to do nothing is more of um, resisting the attention economy by Jen Jen Odell. That's the full title, how to do nothing, resisting the attention economy. Um, It's like more academic. It's like, it's not self-help. It's more academic and coming from a place of like understanding what's going on. And I, that's what I like about dopamine nation. It's talking about your brains, talking about what your brain is like on dopamine and how we get it and all these things. And I just find it really interesting. I have a huge list of books that I need to read that is like growing by the day. Um, so I definitely have some more that I will be getting into, but I just got a book in Santa Cruz. We went to Santa Cruz for our anniversary and, um, Dr. Kane got to serve pleasure point, which was like a big fun thing for him. Um, and I got to go to a really cool bookstore that I thought was the coolest. What was it called? Bookshop Santa Cruz, new and used books. Um, I got a book called Cursed Bunny and it was one of those books that like the cover kind of jumped out at me. Um, I guess it was shortlisted for the International Booker Prize. And I think I just read like the first page and was totally hooked. And I think, um, 
the recommendation, because it was like a staff recommendation too, was like, if you liked Goosebumps in the 90s, um, you'll like this. So it's like, it's disturbing. It's like disturbing and creepy. Um, and it's like, it's hard to describe. It's almost like the feeling that you get when you're reading, like, you know, those like urban myths that we used to all tell each other about like the girl who had the spiders in her face that like her member, she had like a lump in her face and then like it turned out there were spiders in it or, you know, there were so many like little urban myths like that that were just kind of like creepy and shocking and felt like really real. Um, that's kind of what those books like, except it's a lot more zany. It's a lot more weird. Um, it's kind of funny. It's kind of gross. It's scary. Like, it's just really cool. I mean, I know I'm really not selling it well, but it's called Cursed Bunny by Bora Chung and their stories. So it's like, you don't have to read the whole thing at once. So that's been kind of fun, but I have to get through that one until I can get to the rest of my list. So, and then I have the new Daniel Klaus book came out, which is really good. Um, man, his latest books have just been so weird. Um, this one's called Monica. Um, the last book he did was called Patience. And um, yeah, they're both really weird. Monica is, <laughs> there's a cult and there's multiple storylines happening and there's all sorts of weird stuff happening in that book. I kind of don't even want to get into it because it's, it's like kind of confusing. I've literally had to like read it and then take a break and think about it, which is a lot for a graphic novel. Um, but if you're a fan of Daniel Klaus, I don't have to tell you, it's just good. It's weird and good. Um, so I think Craveworthy, I will continue with that because I don't think I, I mean, banana bread is good, but I, I usually talk about like an, an, a restaurant or something. And I did have the pleasure of meeting up with my friend Jennifer Sharp for a brunch in Cayucas at the same location that we met when I was like in my teens and she was in her 30s. Um, we met through our respective websites. Um, and that was so cool back in the day. Um, and it was a fish and chip place then. And now it is this awesome restaurant called Hidden Kitchen. I've been trying to get there forever. They make blue corn waffles. And I know that sounds dumb. I didn't get it until I finally had it because I don't really care about waffles. But it's a whole different thing. It is nothing like the waffles that you're thinking of. Um, they do savory ones and sweet ones. I had one with like avocado and little bacon bits and it was, it was so good. Um, the texture is kind of hard to describe. I guess it's like kind of like a, like a blue corn tortilla, I suppose, but just more like beefy. Like you can really, uh, really toothy, you know, you can really get into it. Um, it was a big meal. I could barely finish it and I got one and it was like, okay, this is, this is a waffle to end all waffles. <laughs> um, but that was really, really lovely. And, um, I really enjoyed that place. So if you're in the area, Cayucas central coast, there's also one in Cambria. Um, highly recommend, very, very highly recommend. It's just a cool vibe too. place. You, it's a place you'd want to just like hang out and chill. Um, what else made a few notes here? Um, we recorded some songs. I think I told you guys we went down to LA and did some vocals. The songs are coming together really well. Um, I guess the way I've described it to people that have asked, because people are always like, oh, you're doing new music. Like, what is it like? Or like what, you know, it's hard to kind of describe something that's half-baked and I almost don't like to because then it kind of makes the magic go away. But it feels less it feels less tethered, like less it feels more unfettered, I guess is the word. Like it feels like I didn't think about it as much. 
So, which would make sense as our last record was conceived during a time where we were still in kind of COVID mind so that we could just, you know, do, you know, layer after layer after layer of sound and just like tweak over it over and over again, Um, which was wonderful. I mean, that's what we wanted to do. But this one, because it was recorded um, half in our Detroit guitar lead guitar player's basement and part here in California and Los Angeles, um, it just has like a grit. I don't know. I don't want to say gritty because we're not gritty. Well, even when I think I'm being gritty, it's like the most polished, happiest sound ever. But it's just – it's more visceral, I guess. And um, yeah, it's been like – really really cool to go back in the studio and to do vocals and to feel that connection to the process of making the music because for me you know when you're doing drum tracking and then you're doing the guitar tracking and then you're you know we're getting stuff sent to us it's very remote the way we're doing it and then you go in the studio and you get to actually lay down those um those vocals and you get to have harmonies and you get to have a backing vocalist and our friend John Miller coming in and doing incredible harmonies and backing vocals. And it feels just really good. Like we're connected to it. So, um, that stuff is, is in the pike and we're going to do singles. So you'll get something sooner rather than later. Last I heard, I, at least on my calendar, it says the ship date for the, um, 45 that split that we're doing with Josie Cotton has shipped yesterday, I think. Um, and that's with lust for life on one side and, Um, She has Day of the Gun, which is the title track of her awesome most recent album on the other side of that. And I think that is shipping from the vinyl distributor or not distributor, vinyl producer, the person who made the vinyl. Um, So that would mean that this is going to be available, God, I hope around Christmas, hopefully, (laughs) or um, it was supposed to be like in November. But, you know, with vinyl, it's like you just toss your hopes to the wind and you just go, well, I hope it comes back at some point. Hope we get it. Um, test pressings came. They sounded good. So that'll be coming out. That's exciting. Um, we have a show next weekend, the 16th in Morro Bay, California, with the Meteors on their 45th anniversary tour, um, which is very cool. It's not every day you get to play with a band that has, you know, kind of like created a genre. So that's you know, always a bucket list for me. And I'm looking forward to that one. And like, kind of curious, like who's coming to this? There's two bands, it's Meteors and us. And it's just like, that's, that's a weird, that's a weird crowd. Like, I hope it's a weird crowd. I want it to be like the best people watching ever. Um, so make it that way, come out and make it that way. Um, let's see, we had a Snacksgiving. I, <laughs> it was really fun. We, we all just brought snacks to make it very low stress. And then we all ended up getting salt bombed and feeling like, Oh, our stomachs hurt because all we ate were snacks. But, you know, sometimes you just got to trade a stomach ache for convenience. Um, I think maybe this is just me. Maybe this is just, I don't know, but I feel like uh, there's a sense of um, people people kind of being pushed a little far in terms of, the you know, the economy and inflation and gas prices and, you know, all that stuff just – I think there's a sense of let's just keep things low key and I like it. I think, and also I, I sense that at shows and I think that it's led to at least for like the smaller bands like myself, like maybe lower attendance, like, or just people, I don't know, people that would have gone, maybe not going. Cause they're just like, I don't know. I don't want to spend the money or like, 
I don't need to go to that. I can listen to that online. You know, that kind of vibe. And I just feel like I felt like that, I think, because we had just gotten into town and I was just thought, I don't want to do some big event, a fancy event. Let's just do snacks. Um, and I'm still riding that wave of let's do less. Like, how about we do less? How about we do something fun, but then we do less? Like, let's – how about we take naps and we rest? I took a nap yesterday for the first time in a while and, yeah, let's let's do that. Um Maybe that's just me that's feeling that way, but I'm not going to wait till after the holidays to, you know, fall over and like take a day long nap. I'm going to try to like dole those out during the holidays so that it can be enjoyable and I can spend time with family and be in the best state of mind. Um, Like I think also another thing with COVID is it taught us all, maybe I'm making a blanket statement again, but like taught us how to not stress the small stuff a little bit. Like once you've been through a, like a huge pandemic and people are dying in the thousands and you have Donald Trump in the middle of it just mucking it up like the like the worst villain in the worst cartoon like the worst the worst looney tunes craziest bullshit happened to all of us right globally it's like you kind of just don't sweat the small stuff as much or or is that just me um it makes you zoom out doesn't it um now that like we are entering 2024 and we can look at COVID a little bit in the, I'm not saying entirely rear view mirror. I know it's still a thing. I'm saying like, we've all had enough space, some space, not all, not, not enough, but we've had, we have had space. That is a correct statement. We have had space in time. Cause I would still say 2021 was COVID. 2022 was COVID. Um, the prevailing, you know, color, the flavor of life was COVID. 2023 was like the first year for a lot of us that we came out of that mentally. And that is profound. <laughs> um, so I like that. I'm going to go into 2024, 2024 with that in mind of let's do what we want to do, but let's do less. Let's look at all the ways we can do less. Let's just do less and um, not sweat the small stuff, keep our focus on what matters in life and just really juice every day for what it's worth and just like enjoy it. Um, I don't think I ever want to go back. And I think a lot of people relate to this. Like, I don't want to go back to that feeling of chasing or rat race feeling um, that it was, it's just part of our culture to feel that way in our, you know, capitalist culture. It's just like, if you're not in front, you're behind. And if you're not in front of that person that you're, somehow you're comparing yourself to your, you know, you're never going to get there. And there's a lot of that going on in our culture. And I don't really ever want that. I mean, that part of me completely died. Maybe not completely, but it's like, it's like at 15%. It takes a lot to get me to have FOMO, like a lot. It takes a lot to get me to compare to the point where I'm like really sad. Like I don't even think it's happened since COVID because it just changed my perspective so much. Um, it really, really changed me as a person and, uh, it's good. It's good. So going into 2024, like I kind of want to go into it with more of a sense of this is a new thing apart from COVID, (laughs) um, and see where that takes us and not just like try to avoid the hard things, but focus on the good things because with COVID we did a lot of, you know, trying to for self-preservation's sake, just either avoid or um, minimize the 
collective terror and horribleness and uncertainty of that time. So that is very, very intense. And I don't think people think of, I don't think y'all think about it enough because I find myself forgetting and we, we, this is, this is the big, this is the biggest thing that has happened in a long time. And until we have world war three, which it looks like is around the corner. If, um, a certain person gets elected until we have world war three or the complete downfall of capitalism or something extra crazy happens. I mean, I can't imagine another thing that would be so global, I guess maybe global warming if that gets even worse out of hand. But, uh, now I'm just scaring myself. So I'm going to stop talking about it, but, um, I don't even know where I was going with that. Um, I would like to tell you that I went on the roller coaster in Santa Cruz. I want to say it's called the Big Dipper or Little Dipper. It was so scary. And the idea of um, – let me look it up. Little Dipper. Giant Dipper. Duh. The idea of people going on that, like, when it first opened in 1924 and not being scared out of their minds is, like, shocking to me because I – was so scared, like the ricketiness of it and the wood, I guess maybe people in the 20s were, you know, everything was rickety and crazy. And like, if you didn't die on like some random like horse-drawn carriage or I guess like early automobile or I don't know, some crazy thing like, or factory mishap, like you were going to die of like scarlet fever or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm like thinking of a different era, but the twenties were still kind of a crazy time for uh, life expectancy, I think. And, uh, so maybe they were used to like, just being like, whatever, <laughs> but I thought I was going to die the whole time. <laughs> it's really scary. I found it horrifying, did not like it. I was on, we were on the very back of the roller coaster, which, Oh God, it made it so much worse. I think one of the best things about getting older is, coming into the things that you do and don't like and just knowing them in your bones. Like there was a time when I was like, do I not like roller coasters? And I know I don't like roller coasters. At 36 years old, I know I don't want to jump out of a plane. That's never going to change. Um, there's a lot of things like that that I'm coming to. Um, and that was not my favorite, but I'm glad we did it. I mean, it really is a classic roller coaster. I mean, it is impressive. The, the fact that it's that old and it's still that iconic and thrilling. I mean, it was thrilling is, is kind of amazing. I think you got to do it every 10 years, right? It's been about 10 years since we, we did that one. Um, what else? Um, I guess that's it. Um, I, cause I just, I, 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 I could just go on and I don't want to. Um, but this is a time of year that I find myself consuming more than I create. I think a lot of us feel that way because, it is a, con a time of consuming and consuming everything. Like it just is. Um, and it felt good to come on here and just like make something, even if it's something really small, like a little, little audio gift for you guys. And um, I guess just passing that on to you. Like if there's a way that you can make something, even if it's like, oh, I'm going to draw like a hand-drawn card for a friend or family member or like, I don't know, just – creating rather than rather than sitting and passively consuming, then I would say go for it. And that could be something as simple as like making a meal or something. Like it's just very easy right now. I feel like with, uh, you know, the seasons and I mean, not that we have seasons in California, but if I was in Detroit right now, I'd be like, what food can we order in and how can I not 
do anything. <laughs> like, um, when it gets cold and dark and shitty, you know, it's, it's hard to stay in the creative space. So I'm glad I was able to come on today and talk to you guys at you guys. And yeah, um, if you're in the area in Morro Bay next week, uh, we'll be there. And, um, until next time, sparkle hard. <laughs>